That room has already been bashed and covered in prayer. Uh, our young people are growing and they're learning, and uh, we just want to thank God. Thank God for those who work with the children's ministry, and thank God for my wife specifically. What an amazing gift. Amen, amen, amen. Well, how's everybody doing? Doing all right? Yes? All right. We're going to get here. Just work with me for a second. Got to get this a little higher. Amen. And that we don't have, um, oh, man, I meant to give her a certificate. Remind me that when um, Triana comes back down, Triana Henderson comes back down, I've got a salvation certificate I need to give to her from a few weeks ago, all right? Amen, amen. Well, um, before we jump into the Word of God, and again, because we don't have a PowerPoint, it puts us in a position where you got to get a hard copy or use your phone or something of that nature, uh, but we really want to encourage you to have a copy of God's Word available to you. We're going to be jumping right into John chapter 9, uh, continuing uh, the series of Rewrite. But before we get into John chapter 9, I just want to highlight a few things that have been shared earlier just so that you can uh, hear them again and uh, receive the instructions uh, by it. Um, Wendy mentioned that April the 8th, something is happening. Anybody remember what she said was happening? The love sale. Hey, man, y'all actually heard that, right? Uh, we call it a love sale, or you know, everybody else may know it as a rummage sale or a yard sale. But why is it a love sale? Because love requires action, right? It's not just something that we say. And the first action is that we choose to be obedient to God's word. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, and they sold their possessions and gave their proceeds to the needy. Right? And the way that we've decided to do it as a church is that we have asked people to identify three to five valuable items from your own home, things you possess, you worked for, you sweat for, you picked out like, oh, I like that, right, at the store. We're asking you to identify three to five of those items. You can do more if you so desire and bring them April the 8th. That's where these goods come from. Please don't give something that's, you know, you say, I ain't going to use this no more anyway. I'm not even going to miss this. Bring something you feel you're going to miss, right? Because when you walk past that empty spot in your kitchen or in your living room or in your bedroom, say, man, I remember I had this. It should directly connect you to the heart of who received the benefit of what was sold. Who's getting the benefit out of these proceeds? God has put it on our heart to identify a few families in Austin community that have been directly impacted by gun violence, uh, specifically, if possible, in the last year. And we just want to approach them, just random, random act of love. Ring their doorbell, says, God has put you on our heart, and we have decided to take things that we own and by the move of God to sell them, and here are the proceeds. We're not going to be Ananias and Sapphira. We're not holding nothing back. Hallelujah. 
But I encourage you not to be Ananias and Sapphira either. And if you're not sure who they are, I encourage you to look it up in the scriptures, right? But these are a group of people who sold stuff and they held stuff back. But in order for this to work, we're asking you to be obedient to God's spirit. I'm confident that if you pray, he's going to tell you what to give up. And as soon as you hear it, you don't have to double check, like, God, are you sure? Just immediately, the response of your heart, yes, Lord, I'm giving up this treasure. What other thing do you want me to give up? Let that become the conversation. Don't be like, oh, come on, can you be something else? Right? Be obedient to God's spirit because I promise you, as you yield to him in this way, he will begin to open up a relationship with uh, the Father that is unlike one that you have had up until this point. And just believe that God will choose the right amount that it will be sold for. And if you're concerned about it, if it's going to get sold, be here on the 8th. You stop people. Hey, you want to buy this hat? You want to buy this, 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 this treasure, right? Because it's going for a cause. I just need to just put a pause there so you know exactly what's happening. But I also ask that you be praying right now for those families that would receive, right? Begin praying right now for those families to receive. They would know how to be stewards of what God is putting in their hands. We don't know what their needs are. Some of them are still digging out of funeral costs. If you ever had to unexpectedly lay someone to rest, there are some costs attached to that, particularly if you don't have insurance, right? Perhaps you are just, you're just, they're in a place where they can't rest, they can't sleep, they can't do anything. They need counseling. They need someone to walk them through this hurt and this pain. And they said, man, I would, I've got the right person. I just don't, I don't have the means to have that first conversation. Who knows that this could be a moment where they can begin getting that healing. Some people just need groceries. I don't know. And it's really not up for us to know. But I believe that they're praying right now, God, please come to my aid. And God says, I hear your cry. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm sending uh, people like Moses to your front door to help you know Christ in a very personal way. So... I began praying for that. I'll tell you how God's working in that regard. This is, this is amazing. Well, before I share that story, uh, I will get into the scripture. Just, just bear with me for a moment. Uh, another thing, on Easter, uh, what I don't think Wendy may mention is that as we invite people to come on that Easter service to receive a word from God and begin to have that cathartic moment, that relationship with God that begins a healing in their hearts, that we want to give each of those families that have had a loss or been impacted by gun violence one of these crosses. We have about 80 plus left from last year that we've made, right? So they're already ready. But when they come, uh, we just want them to receive this as a gift of love, as a reminder of God's healing, as a reminder of his blessing, not just a memorial of the loss, but a, a memorial of what good thing is yet to come. Um, but we've been having some difficult time finding such families, haven't we? And uh, so we thought this was going to be easy, finding families. Because in Austin, man, there have been over 400 people shot last year, just in one community, right? I'm like, oh, this is, this, this is a cinch. But it's been harder than we thought to identify such families. 
Uh, so I'm going to ask that you pray. But here's what God began to do. So we've been putting it on Facebook. And if you want to go to uh, the church Facebook, you'll see it. Just kind of share it. Kind of, we got to get it out there. Um, we've been trying to make some, some contacts with the police department and see if they can kind of guide us along. But here's the random thing. Last week um, was a tough week for my wife and I. I mean, you know, when you start doing some stuff with God, it gets kind of crazy sometimes, right? I won't go into all the details, but our car was just acting really funky. Uh, and so we needed a lot of work done, but part of that work, it took us to a car wash. Uh, when we got in the car wash, uh, we just sat there and watched them put the wax and blah, blah, blah on the car. And my wife just randomly asked one of the guys washing the cars, like, hey, guy, where you live? That's kind of a strange first question, right? He said, yeah, I live on Chicago Avenue in Austin. I was like, huh. I said, have you seen any of these purple crosses around? He said, yeah, I've seen them all over the place. I said, you know what they're about? Yeah, I know what they're about. I said, well, Easter, I want you to come for Easter because we're going to have a really dynamic, God-powered, service. Um, and we're going to be delivering some of these, handing some of these crosses out to families that have had losses of their loved ones due to gun violence. And he said, huh, I think I'm coming. And he said it with such a certainty. He says, because have you heard about the two guys that got shot, burned, and stuffed in the garbage can? He said, that, those are my cousins. I was like, really? I said, well, I really need you to come. His name is Otis. He said, they call him O sometimes, right? I said, I really need you to come. He said, do you know any? I said, do you know any other people? He said, yeah, I, 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 I'm plugged. I know people who have lost loved ones. I said, oh, that's my connection right there. But in a car wash, who would have ever anticipated, right? The glory of God, he himself is saying, I see your heart for me, and I will point you in the direction to make sure that my love gets displayed appropriately. And I believe he's going to do those types of things with you as well. So don't be afraid to ask the random question. Invite people to be a part of what God is doing because God is moving. Amen? Amen. All right, so I can set my purple cross down. Gabe, I'm going to sit him on your drums right here for a second. Can I do that? Where's Gabe at? Oh, is that good? Okay, like it. <laughs> All right. Well, rewrite. Um, Who, Jesus. I want to thank God for uh, this opportunity to stand before you. I thank God for Antonio Daniels, who stood in uh, uh, the pulpit, if you will, behind the stand a few weeks ago and to bring the dynamic word of God and thank God for uh, Darnell Weathersby and uh, Pastor Kenny Ruiz uh, that have stood in the last three weeks to explain and expound and encourage us in God's word. Um, man, it's, I, I get so much refreshment when I sit and just hear how God works and speaks through other people. And I pray that you also were encouraged in that process. Uh, we are uh, going to continue for the next few weeks through the book of John. And we are now in the chapter 9 uh, and the story called Rewrite. And uh, I love it because in Revelations 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things what? 
new. I love it when God makes stuff new. Um, and so we're going to see how he does this in this chapter, believing that whatever way that God rewrites the story of this man's life, he can also do it for us and other people that we know. So we want to take a good, close look at this story of what we would call a blind man who ended up believing. And here's the big idea that whenever God rewrites someone's story, uh, there's a process. It doesn't always just happen automatically, right? So we want to look at the process, and then when we see the process, we're going to figure out how that process applies to us. If you have it, John chapter 9, verse 1, somebody shout amen. 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 You know what? Let's just do some calisthenics. Let's stand to our feet in honor of God's word. And let's just read the first few verses, and then we'll be seated, and we'll just jump right in. Verse 1 of chapter 9 of John. Now as Jesus passed by, he said a man, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God shall be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. Hmm. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not the man who sat and begged? And some said, This is he, and others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not Amen. You may have a seat. This is, a, this is an amazing story because Jesus heals a blind man, but there are a few things that happened before the healing took place, and there's a process of his story being rewritten. The first verse says, as he went along, as Jesus went along, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Let's just talk about blindness for a second. Any of you all know any blind people? Right? My mother was blind for the last maybe seven to ten years of her life. Right. And I began to realize that blindness affects every area of your life, things that we take for granted. You have a sense of time when you see, but when you are blind, you lose sense of hours, whether it's morning, afternoon or evening. 
you have a sense of a loss of like what day of the week is it? What holiday is it? Whose birthday is it? You lose connections with the world around you. You can't figure out, is it lunchtime? I'm hungry. Uh, my stomach feels hungry, but it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Uh, blindness infects all parts of your life. But I want you to imagine what it's like being born blind. That means you don't have any mental pictures of like what's like a color, what's uh, a person's face look like, what's a tree, uh, what's water look like. It's just, just no point of reference. You can make, you maybe conjure something in your mind, but you're not even sure if what you see in your head space is what it really is. Here's the thing about blind people. When you're born blind, you need assistance. You need aid. I want you to think about this man who was born blind, about how his life went. First of all, um, he grew up in a family that probably took care of him, but at some point in time, you ever tried to take care of someone who was sick? It just kind of wears on you, right? Imagine that this blind man was always dependent on someone to take care of him. Sometimes people, when they, when they get tired of taking care of you, they just drop you and they just leave you be, and you just got to figure it out on your own. And this man was a beggar. It means he asked people for resources, and it seems like the place that he found that uh, was the best place to beg was right in front of the church, because church folks supposed to go to church with some money, well, I think, right? Uh, but if nothing else, they have kind of compassion. They're supposed to be connected to God, and if you ask church folk for stuff, they're more apt to say, yeah, you know, I'm going to hook you up with a couple you know, dollars and some change, so forth and so on. And he said, well, I'm going to hang out in front of the temple. I'm going to hang out where these church folk show up every day, and then I'm going to hold out my cup and ask for them to hook me up. But here's the problem. When your cup is full, what do you do with that money? you got to find something to eat. Perhaps he said to a friend of his, hey, look. Hey, I just need a burger. I just need, you know, a pop from Burger King. Can you just take my change and, you know, get that and bring it back? What happens is the person who he gave it to takes the money and runs. Never comes back with his hard-earned money. What happens to the person who takes the money and he only spends half of it for the man and puts the other half in his pocket? This is my running fee, right? Uh, what happens if... Uh, he brings something that the man is allergic to, right? All kinds of possibilities just with the food issue, right? The man who is blind probably had to secure. Sometimes you can't find people who you can trust. Sometimes you just got to pay. Everything, the world runs on money sometimes, right? Sometimes you got to pay people. So he's, he's working not only to take care of his needs, but he's got to make sure that somebody can walk him home every day, make sure that he can get around or just sit with him to keep him company, to talk to people. It's nothing like being lonely. When people look at you, they just don't want to talk to you. Right? What happens if you, you, you think you look clean and, and nice, but your stuff is all jacked up? Your tie is crooked, your, your shirt is dirty, and you smell bad because you couldn't make it to the bathroom in time? So a lot of stuff happens when you can't see. This man was born blind. And it says as Jesus was passing by, he saw him. I just got to I, I, I help you understand what it means when Jesus said he saw him. It's possible to see something and not see it, right? If you walk up your steps 
to your house every day, when's the last time you took the time to deliberately count how many steps you walk up? But you walk past these steps every day. You walk past street signs every day. You drive past places every day. You see it and you don't see it. And I believe it was the same thing with this blind man. He was a fixture. He was like this pole. He was always going to be there. He was always going to be a ring of the change. He was always going to be saying, hey, I need a little something to help me out. You see him, but you don't see him. But Jesus saw him, but it wasn't just a physical seeing. It was a seeing where he was being really attentive and paying attention to this man. He was discerning some stuff. We see like this sometimes as students in a high school when a person comes in and your regular teacher is gone. And you're seeing the sub. You're not just seeing him as a person or her as a person. You are reading that individual. You're making some decisions like do we have an individual that we can just clown and have a great time with, or is this person not, is not for none of that, right? We're seeing the individual, right? Even when you show up at a place for the first time, right? Perhaps you're here for the first time and you walk into a new space. You are reading the atmosphere. You're reading people. You're seeing not just with your eyes, but you're seeing with your heart and your spirit. You're checking stuff out. Am I at the right place? Am I going to enjoy myself? Am I, is it comfortable for me? You go to a concert. Am I going to have a good time? I'm, I'm trying to see what's going to happen. Jesus was perceiving this man. And I believe because Jesus was always in prayer. God says, stop, look. Jesus was walking past thousands of people and people around him all over the place. It wasn't just like he's going to stop and look at everybody. I believe God's spirit is like, stop, take note. And it says, and Jesus was passing by and he saw the man born blind. What happens next? Verse 2. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Oh, man, I, gotta, I love this. I love this. The people who were hanging out with Jesus, they saw the man too. But when they saw the man, they saw a problem. But when Jesus saw the man, he saw a promise. Right? And it's really important that we try to have the eyes of Jesus, right? Sometimes you walk and drive past a group of people hanging out on the block. What do you see? Do you see a problem or do you see a promise? And they were already asking the question. There's obviously something had to go wrong for this man to be born blind. It was customary understanding in the Old Testament that if somebody had some illness or sickness, it had to do with sin. 
Jesus began to paint the picture and create a paradigm shift. Not everything that's wrong is because of somebody's sin. Now, don't make the mistake in saying that this man never sinned. Yes, the Bible says all have sinned have come short of God's glory. But Jesus said that's not the priority. That's not the focus. I want to focus your attention on something bigger God's getting ready to do. You're focused on all the wrong stuff this man might have done or his parents might have done. I'm wanting you to focus on something that God is going to do that's going to show up and change his life, your life, and everybody else's life around you. That's what I want you to see. Jesus says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm about to work. I can only work while it's day, but when I'm working, I'm working, I'm doing what the Father asked me to do because I'm the light of the world. I'm about to show up, show out, shine, and make things happen. I want you to know that when God looks at you, he doesn't just see all the problems and all the mess and all the wrong stuff you've done. He sees promise and not problems. Tell somebody, I, you, God sees promise in you. Just tell them, God sees promise in you. God sees promise in you. I'm so serious. God sees promise in you. This man, he's sitting there. You know what's really weird? When you can't see, you can really hear, right? And you, have you ever been in a space where people don't think you hear them talking about you, but you hear them, right? Man. Some places they call it sneak dissing, right? Right? I throw in shade. They're trying, to, they're trying to throw something over your head, act like you can't hear or understand what they're talking about. But you catch it. This blind man heard them. They were sitting there discussing him and his sin problems. And Jesus threw out this word of hope. And this man's like, wow, somebody sees something in me that God's getting ready to do. I believe his heart began to swell with like, whoa. This is a different type of conversation that I'm, I'm hearing. Verse 6, Jesus said, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man and made man with the clay. Then he says, go to the pool of Shalom and wash. I think that's what it says. Hold on, let me just say, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. That's all Jesus said. You know, because sometimes we read past these statements and we read what's not there. He didn't, Jesus never told him what was going to happen. He just says, go and wash. So, oops. I want you to, I want you to picture what's happening here. Jesus does something unprecedented. First, he never asked the man if he wanted to see. Usually when Jesus is getting ready to heal somebody, he's, he's like, you, you, want to, you want to be healed? That wasn't that part of the conversation, right? God was saying to him, don't even ask him if he wants to be healed because I'm getting ready to do something that it's not really about him. It's about you, but it's not about you, right? Sometimes when we ask God to do things in our lives, we think it's about us. And God says, I've got something bigger that I'm about. So if I, if I provide this miracle in your life, it's just really not about you. I'm showing myself so the people around you witness this. So Jesus looks around and says, well, what can I find that can I use? So he found a bunch of mud. Man, dirt. It's nasty, right? Anybody want to drink out of this cup now? Right? 
I mean, you're like, you, you all have this incredulous look like, of course not, right? Then he says, man, okay, I see mud. I see dirt, but I don't have any way to make it gooey and soft and mushy, right? I, got, I, I know what I'm getting ready to do. This man doesn't know. Nobody else knows because I've never used this method before. That's the thing about Jesus. When he shows up, he doesn't show up in predictable fashions. I need you to catch that one. Because sometimes when we pray, we automatically have an idea of how God's going to work this out. Right? We've already got the script laid out. Like, all right, God, I need you to, to work this miracle for me. And without us even saying it, we've got an image, our picture, how he's going to make it happen. And so while we're praying and waiting, we're looking for him to come this way, and he shows up this way. Do you, do, do you, you understand? So Jesus says, man, I don't have any liquid. Mm. That looks nasty, right? I, I don't mean to gross you out, but I need you to understand what's happening, right? Let, let me do it again so you catch that. Mm, 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 mm. Y'all going to forgive me. <laughs> Let me do it again for the <laughs> Facebook, right? And Jesus takes his hands. I'm using a spoon because I got to shake some of your hands after this. And y'all are like, hey, Pastor, you know, I love you. I don't love you that much, right? He, uh, he makes mud, right? And the whole time while he's making this mud, he knows exactly what he's getting ready to do. And the guy's just standing there like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see nothing happening. Jesus ain't spoke the word. Usually Jesus speaks, right? Be healed, right? Usually he touches him and does something. And Jesus takes his time. He's making mud out of saliva and spittle, and he takes this. I need a volunteer. Right. Yeah, can I, can I throw this on your eyes? I'm not, she, she's so willing. I love that. I'm not going to do you like this. She got all her makeup and everything on, right? And he just takes it, pow, slaps it on his eyes. Right? And stuff is just kind of dripping down. It's not pretty. You need to understand what he's doing is not pretty. And sometimes we think when Jesus does a miracle, it's going to, it's going to be pretty. Right? Follow what's happening here. After Jesus has done this, he says, now I want you to go. I want you to walk to a pool. Jesus could have said, man, hey, guys, bring some water over here. Let's get this guy cleaned up. He doesn't do that. He makes him take a journey. And I have no idea how far it was, perhaps from the temple to this pool of Siloam, which means sent. That means you got to go. There are times when God does something, he wants to do something in our lives, but he wants us to participate in the process. Sometimes we want God to do all the work, but when God asks us to do something, like, that's too much. That's embarrassing. For real? But the man never has this discussion. He gets up and he walks through the crowd. He's already used to humiliation, right? And this is really important. Most of the time, 
the key element missing is humility. How many Christians do you know that when you describe them, you can actually use the word humble? And how many people who know you can use that word about you? God exalts the humble. What do we have to do to make sure that we are in a low state? It's a whole nother conversation. This man is walking through the crowd. He can't, he already can't see, right? He may be bumping into people, like, hey, which way is the pool? You got that send-off guy. It's that way. Oh, okay, I'm going this way, right? Where's the pool? It's that way, right? You got to understand that there was something that was going on. There was a journey in the process, but the man just didn't give up. He had to find the pool because he said, go to the pool and wash. I don't know what's going to happen when I wash, but I'm just going to go anyway. He was a determination. I already been sitting at this silly place in front of people. They're mocking me and laughing at me. I've been there since I've been born. I'm ready for something new. I've heard about this man, Jesus. And he goes. He says, y'all got to move. Where's the water? Where's the water? And he gets to splash as he's splashing, he is seeing water for the very first time in his life. And he's seeing a reflection of his image. Who is this man that God thought enough to stop Jesus for? Who are you that he stopped Jesus for? Because Jesus stopped for you. He really did. He washes. Follow the pattern here for a second. He went. He washed. He came back. But he came back different. He came back seeing. He could have gone, washed, and went home. But something began to stir in his heart. It's like, I got to see the man who did this. breakthrough moment but there was this journey God wasn't finished rewriting his story while he was walking back therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said is this not he who sat begging they were discussing him again like isn't that the same guy we've seen standing on the corner of 290 and Central. Isn't that the same guy we've seen begging, not able to see? And they were trying to make up their mind because something about him looked different. Not only was he seeing, but when you could see for the first time, he probably had a skip in his step, <laughs> right? I ain't seen that guy do that before. Maybe there's somebody different. Maybe he walked like this before, but this time he's walking like this, right? Sometimes 
a person who you're not used to seeing smiling, all of a sudden they're smiling. Something about this man was so different that though he was the same man, they could not distinguish who he was. That's called transformation. When you and I got saved, there should have been some obvious distinctions about what our lives were like before we met Christ and our lives after we met Christ. People should be confused about who you are now. They say, who is the guy? And they're discussing him. Look, I I hear you all. Yeah, it's me. It's my name. You didn't even know my name, but now let me tell you who I am. Right? He says, yeah, I am he. Therefore, he said, they said to him, how will your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus. Let me tell you the story. He made some clay. Mm. He anointed my eyes and he said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received sight. And then they said to him, where is he? And he says, I do not know. He hadn't even come back to meet Jesus. He's on his way back to find Jesus. There is this process going on. He went to the pool. He washed. Why he's trying to find Jesus? People are asking him questions. He's stopping and having conversations. And he's trying to tell people, yes, I'm the same guy. But here's what happened to me. He's telling the story. Each one of you have a Come on. You got a story. You got a story. People should be asking you, what made you different? Why are you somebody new? Jesus is rewriting my story, Jessica. He's rewriting my life. He's changing me. I wish I could help you understand. You're probably saying the same thing to me. Pastor, if you really knew my story, knew why I'm sitting here today, oh my God. Jesus made a difference in my life. You should have seen what I was. I was a hot mess. Some of us still a hot mess, but God's still writing on our story. It's a process. I'm all off my notes. I don't even know where I am with my notes. (laughs) Pray for me, brother. Verse 13. They brought him who was formerly, who was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now, this is the second time he's telling this story. Now, this is an interesting move for people who see but don't see. Okay? And it's really important that we figure out who we are. Do we see or do we not see? Right? The people heard, like this man says, I don't know, uh, this is what happened, Jesus was the one doing it. I would have thought, like, if, you're, if Jesus did it, you're trying to get back to Jesus, let me take you to Jesus. But they didn't take him to Jesus, they took him back to the temple, they took him to the Pharisees. They took him to the religious leaders who had nothing to do with this man's miracle, to question him. Sometimes people will take you by the hand when you're trying to get to Jesus to kind of tell them thank you and appreciate it, redirect you and try to get you turned around. Watch who you let lead you. 
So they take him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask him this question, well, what happened? He said, man, I, I was blind, but now I see. Bottom line, right? He slapped a bunch of mud on my face. I went to wash. I see. I'm trying to find Jesus. And they said, well, this man cannot be from God because he does this thing on a Sabbath, on a Sunday, on a day when there's no work supposed to be done. They took their Sabbath seriously. Unfortunately, we don't. Right? We spend a lot of time on the day that we are supposed to set us out for God, setting us out for a lot of other things and other people. So we probably don't really get like what's happening here. It would be really good if we understood how to embrace the Lord's day and say, it's just not the Lord's day. I'm just literally making this the day that belongs to the Lord, and I'm not going to make it a day about me. They call that a check in your spirit, but I'm going to keep moving. Let me just read these because it's in my notes, and I just need to make sure I got it. This, this thing that happened to this man, we may not really like the sound of God caused him to be blind from birth. God allowed that. Um, we don't like the sound of that because it sound, doesn't sound like the God we serve. We think God's supposed to from, you know, make everything really good, sunshiny, smiley, joyful, bubbly all the time, right? But when we look at life like that, we're looking at it from an ant's view. Right? Have you ever stopped and looked at an ant and ever thought, like, wonder what the world looks like to them? Right? They're scurrying about. And I think that's how we look at the world, from a very small view. And what we need to do is look at it from a God's size view. What Jesus revealed in is quite amazing. He said that God is at work rewriting our pain, suffering, and struggling into something that reveals his work in our lives. Jesus said that this man's life is not the picture, it's the frame, and God is actually the picture that is meant to be revealed to the world. So let me just, let me break it down to you like this. The stuff that you and I go through, the pain and the problems, the issues and struggles and so forth, we think we're the picture. We think it's about us. We're so used to taking selfies. We think it's, it's us. And God says, what you're going through is the frame. I'm going to use your pain, your problem, your struggle as a framework that I'm going to show myself through. We need to be able to see our stuff from that perspective. When we can begin to embrace that it's not about me, that God wants to somehow show up and glorify himself, magnify himself so people can see Jesus in the frame of our pain, then we can move with a new joy, a new purpose. God's rewriting and working it out for good. So what pain are you going through that has you down like the blind man Walking with your shoulders slumped and your eyes on the ground. Can I encourage you to change your posture and act like you can see? Stick your chest out. Walk with some confidence. Keep your eyes looking up and keep your eyes looking at Jesus. 
Don't let anybody turn you around, dissuade you, confuse you, try to tell you that what God is doing in your life is not real. Because not everybody can see what God is doing. But we need to be able to see that. I got to land this plane. I got to land this plane. Help me, Lord. Help me land this plane. Jesus, verse, verse 18. I'm going to just try to read this. Verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him. Oh, let me back up. Verse 17. And they said to the blind man again, what did you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So they, until they called his parents of him who had received his sight, and they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. Mamas know their babies. It's not confusing. Like, I know this mine. We know. Dad says, I know this is my son. These are, it's my son, and he was born blind. He came out of my womb, and we waved our hands in front of his face, and he didn't respond like most children. And when he got one month, two months, three months, four months, one year, two years, three years, he still couldn't see. I know. We know he was born blind. We're not confused. This is our son. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age. Ask him. I can feel a little heat in that conversation. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, They would put him out of the church. They would put him out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Part of rewriting the story means you've got to have some confrontation. Some things are going to happen that you're going to have to get rid of. God's going to have to help you get rid of before you can move into this new season of your life. And this was a big step. Pharisees like, all right, we've already sat and we had a conversation. Like, anybody who declares that Jesus is Lord of Lords, we already know what to do about them. We're going we're gonna to excommunicate them. We're going to get rid of them. And so the parents like, man, this is, our, this is our cultural norm. This is our religious background. This is who our, we are. This is our identity is tied into the worship in this temple. We know these are the people who are set up by God. So we really don't want to be in a position where we're not looked very favorably upon by these people in power. They're like, all right, let me tell you what we know. He's our son. He was born blind. But how he saw, we don't have any idea. But in fact, you could ask him because he can tell you because he's of age. He's old enough. He's a big boy. He got his big boy pants on. Right? (laughs) Ask him some questions, and he'll give you some answers. And so, verse 24, and they said again to the man who was blind, he said to him, give glory, God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. I'm trying to give God glory. I'm trying to praise God for what's happening here. And they're like, we know this man's a sinner. He cannot be doing this on a Sabbath day, on a day that God set aside for worship for himself, healing somebody. It's just wrong. So he's a sinner. Give God glory. Don't give this man any props. And he answered, verse 25, whether he is a sinner 
or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, I now see. Oh, I got to say it again. Though I was blind, I now see. Though I was blind, I now see. This is what I'm absolutely certain of. I was blind, but now I see. If you can't tell anybody anything else about your story, you can tell them, I was blind, but I can see. I was blind, but I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. I don't even need these reading glasses. I kind of do, but I can see differently now. Verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said to them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? This is a big, this is, a, this is like a two, a second grader checking his teacher. It's like, you're kind of dumb, ain't you? I told you that two plus two is four. You want me to tell you again? I'm going to teach you this lesson. You know how adults we get when a, a young person tries to tell us what's really important, what's really dynamic, what's really life-changing, what's really happening? You're like, oh, no, it's not that. What really kills me is when young people are in pain and they talk to a trusted family member, like I've seen people who've been molested. They talk to a, an adult, like, please, this happened, and the adult snubs them and says, look, this didn't happen, you're making it up, you're acting jealous, and that person is in pain. It's really important for us as children of God to walk around with eyes that see. At least enough to pray about some stuff. I don't know why they made this 41 verses. I cannot hit all of this. Lord Jesus. Verse 28, then they revealed him and said, you are his disciple. But we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. This man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he's from, yet he opened up my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but anyone is a worshiper of God, does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it's been unheard that anyone opened up his eyes, the eyes of one who's been born blind. He starts checking them. He starts saying, look, let me just tell you what I know. In fact, I hung out in your camp, in your temple, and you taught me this, right? You taught me that people who uh, God hears, God works through, right? I, I, it's hard to understand how if he's a sinner, that he can do these type of things. They respond with a lot of anger, and they eventually cast him out. And this is the part I want you to see. He was already somewhat alone. There's nothing worse than feeling alone or lonely. Because right? we were born to be in community. And we can act like, yeah, it's good, I'm, I'm good. I don't need nobody. But to be a part of community and connections, to feel like we've been belong, we belong somewhere. And they just dismissed him out of all of the connection with all the Jewish people. But here's what Jesus does. While this man was trying to look for Jesus, Jesus said, don't worry, I'm going to find you. And Jesus heard, verse 35, that they had cast him out. And when 
he had, he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus rewriting his story. He takes a moment from his healing to his, he saw this ordeal and he finds him when he gets cast out. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? Verse 36, and he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who talks with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Boom, there it is right there. His response, after he had been, he experienced Jesus, he had been examining Jesus, and now he is expressing Jesus. He says, Lord, he calls him master. He says, I believe. Not only were his physical eyes open, but now his spiritual eyes are open. And he worshiped his expression of adoration and his reverence to God being in his presence. He called him Lord. He believed. I'm going to stop right there. I encourage you to read the rest of this story. I'm going to ask this. How many of you can honestly say, I was once blind, but now I see? I was lost but now I'm found. How many of you can honestly say that? I mean, with great certainty. If God or himself was standing here, he would know that you were telling the truth. Raise up your fingers and ask me. I know. I'm blind, but now I see. I'm blind, but now I see. 